0: One generation shall commend your good works to another. That's the central scripture of our stewardship campaign. And we hope, well, those of you who've been here know that stewardship is not really code for fundraising around here. Stewardship is code for life together. And so I'm glad you came this morning, despite the fact that we told you that we were going to be doing a stewardship campaign. Thank you for showing up. You know, the, the whole idea here is that life together really does depend on some level of intentionality the problem is that sometimes we don't hand things off the way we really need to the problem is is that sometimes the passion of one generation can become the duty of the next generation and the burden of the third passion can become duty can become burden unless you know how to pass the baton. Now, if you think of a baton pass, if you've seen it in the, uh, the Olympics or you've seen it, it, your son or daughter run or maybe you've been a part of a, a relay team, you know that you hand the baton off long before you let go of it. In other words, someone has hold of it while you do. The idea here is that I do, and you watch, you do, I watch, and then you do, and someone else watches. That as we, as we take what are really the core, the really incubating uh, nuclear power plant of values, the central part that animates life here, and we engender that into life together, that we do so in such a way that enables and empowers people to do the same thing, cascading down through the generations. How are we doing passing the baton? I think in many ways we're doing very well, especially when it comes to encouraging one another. From the Word of God, Acts chapter 11, starting with verse 22. Hear God's word this morning. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. That is the report of of, uh, the concerns over persecution. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Uh, Antioch is modern-day Syria, so it's the northern side of, of, um, of the whole Gaza Strip. When he came... And saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus and looked for Saul. And when he found him, He brought them to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now, in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. May God bless us this morning through this, his holy word. Let us pray. Father, bless us now through this word, not only to our minds to understand it, but to our hearts to believe it, that through our lives we may live it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you've heard of a bar mitzvah, right? Bar mitzvah, son of the commandment. That's a, that's a big transition from, for a boy, from, from boyhood to manhood, where he's uh, entering into an age of accountability, usually age 13, bar mitzvah. You've also heard of a barista, right? A barista is uh, a son of Venus. No, okay, that's not true. (laughs) Barista is just somebody who serves you coffee. So, but but next time you're at a coffee shop, you know you might say, "Hey, you know, you're a son of Venus." All right, it's a totally different cognate, totally different word. Uh, But Barnabas, Barnabas, is a son of exhortation, son of prophecy. The connotation here, though, when you use it as a name, is son of encouragement. Son of encouragement. You can see in Acts four thirty-two that Joseph, his name was Joseph, his given name. Barnabas' name was Joseph, and the disciples nicknamed him. I love nicknames. I, uh, I nick- I give. I mean, I've I've got hundreds of nicknames for my kids. They can't even keep up with them. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I just, I just play on their own name. And I, I love nicknames. For me, it's a term of, of endearment. It's kind of, you know, speaking encouragement into their life. Uh, you, you know, one of our kids finally said, uh, enough. I, w- I was taken to college, and, and he said, you know, can we go back to my regular name? You know, I mean, I had Benja B., Benja Boogie, Benja, I mean, you just, and anything you can think of. And, and uh, you know, i play on their names. Well, this is exactly what was going on with, with Barnabas. He was such an encourager, and the disciples recognized that, and they decided to give him a nickname, just just in order to encourage him back, just say, this is who, you're, you're speaking encouragement into our lives. Encouragement is often in short supply, is it not? I put it in our little newsletter, you know, as a teaser to this, that, uh, you know, Mark Twain's little quip. He said, I can, I can live for two months on one good compliment. You know, it's the whole idea that no, we can't live without affirmation. We can't live without. I mean, we, we need to speak encouragement into each other's lives. How are we doing with that? And how do we become better at it? Well, let's take a look at that. Let's take a look at how we're showing up with expectations despite our differences. That's the sermon. We're showing up with expectations despite our differences now let's unpack it we're showing up we're showing up for each other uh... because we know that there are some things that are only possible when we come together we're showing up because there's some things that are only possible this is the point there's some things only possible when we come together let's look at that over the course of a year though because this is what the the scripture is saying that, that Barnabas recruited Saul, or who would become Paul. That's his nickname, Saul of Tarsus. He went to Tarsus, recruited him, and was mentoring him, encouraging him, mentoring him for an entire year. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting that we don't have any written words of Barnabas? Almost the entire New Testament was written by his understudy, his protege. Paul, But we don't have anything written by Barnabas And yet His role was so pivotal And his role was what? To encourage Encouragement Oh there's some great encouragers around here You know who they are They may be you But it's powerful To look at the, the import of encouragement Over the course of a year you know, if, if you go through some major life event, whether it's positive, whether it's a wedding or whether there's a, a funeral, it's so important, and I've noticed this over the years, it's so important that, that you learn to walk through that, the four seasons and at the end of that year really mark the occasion and say, you know, I made it. You know, I, I, I've lived through the four seasons after, after this great life change. I can do this. And, and, and we mark moments for people around here uh, for that very purpose. This is what Paul was doing. This is what Barnabas was doing for Saul or for Paul, was helping him walk through an entire year with a brand new fledgling church, a Greek church, an international church, the first international church in Antioch. Now, I want to talk to you uh, for just a minute and illustrate how important it is for us to see the church in terms of the course of a year, that there are powerful ways that we can encourage each other through showing up, through life together over the course of a year. I've I've not told much of the story of the bus crash that I was in, but I do want to show you. And this is yeah, I want to prepare you for this because this is kind of a shocking image. But this is the picture of the bus. Uh, after it was, um, after everybody had been taken to the hospital, I was on uh, this bus uh, when it crashed. And uh, you can take it down now, it's enough drama for one, uh, for one day. Uh, but I was on that bus when it crashed, and we, we should not, uh, you can see from the image that we should not have survived. We went 200 feet down into a ravine, um, and uh, painfully, we we lost two of our, our our boys in that crash and the bus driver as well. And um, we we had lifetime injuries and you know I'm I'm still feeling the injury that um, that I incurred from from that, uh, from that crash twenty years ago. But powerfully, the church showed up for each other. It was amazing. We didn't have to organize people. They just self-sorted into their, <laughs> their passions and gifts and personalities and life experience. They just showed up for each other. And over the course of the next year, we walked together through a very difficult season that became a beautiful season of ministry. You say, well, Tim, that, that's, that's an extraordinary thing for a church to go through. I can't imagine that, any, that many other churches ever experienced something like that oh not so fast our church does this same thing every year it just doesn't happen all in one event let me give you some numbers last year uh every twice a month someone in this congregation lost a dear family member we had almost 24 deaths last year of of people who are from you know really close for their in their family so so within our congregation uh, really twice a month we're dealing with with some kind of family that's in grief. Uh, on the positive side of things, l- let me give you several other numbers. Uh, we we had forty four people join this church this past year. Um, you know I, I know it says in the in the letter. Uh, 50 people join. Well, those are preacher numbers, okay? Those are preacher numbers. <laughs> you know, there's always like a 10% bump that a uh, pastor adds to the thing, you know? It's just like, <laughs> we, were, we were estimating before we knew the actual figure. We had, we had uh, 10 births. We had 14 baptisms. And I want to give you one more number. And this is the number 103. And that's how old our oldest member is. There she is, Anne Rolt, with her family around her, 103 years old last month. Over the course of one year, we are exposed to so much life experience and so many life events. Saul watched Barnabas encourage a church for an entire year. He was part of it. He was side by side with a mentor. He was was in a setting that was brand new to him and really cutting edge for the church. This was the first international church. And as a result, we have a New Testament. Powerful encouragement. We're doing the same thing in this church through our care teams. We've reorganized our church into this grid of smaller groups. And so when something does happen within the life of, of one of us, that we're organized to respond in a way that's that's orderly and personal and caring. And so it's been amazing to experience that as a part of this church with Beth's illness. But it's also been Incredible watching you all care for each other. And I get to sit in this perch where I see it happen almost on a weekly basis people doing amazing things for each other. So over the course of a year we do experience a lot of life. Sometimes it comes in a concentrated form. But to be able to recognize how important it is over the course of the year to help walk through that season together. There's some things that we can only do when we come together. You see that? There's some things that we can only do when we come together, when we show up. But we also need to show up with expectations. To show up with expectations. Because there's some things that only God will do that God only does when we do come together. There's some things that only happen when we come together that we can do when we come together. But second, there's some things that God only does when we come together through one another over the course of a year. And so Saul was in Tarsus, Saul of Tarsus. Barnabas went to go retrieve Saul. Well, what's the big deal about that? Let's back up to verse 19, and let's read it again, and you'll see the big deal. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen. Who's Stephen? Stephen's the first martyr of the church. Who was there at his execution? Saul of Tarsus. Let's continue reading. Travel, news traveled far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, and they spoke the word, word to no one except the Jews. Why? Why? They were afraid. Persecution had rippled out into, you know, Judea, Samaria, and was beginning to ripple out into the farther edges of. Civilization. See, this church of Greeks and Hellenists, this nexus on the, the, the north side of the Mediterranean, of so many different cultures. They, they were watching a fledgling church and Christians who had spread out because of their fear. And they were being careful only to share the good news of Jesus' resurrection With Jews because uh, they they knew who they were dealing with when they were sharing it with Jews but they weren't sharing it far and wide for fear of further persecution so here is a bold move by Barnabas he goes and recruits the very man at the center of this fear of persecution Saul of Tarsus and he invites him into the circle of leadership of this new church to start a brand new ripple effect. Why was he doing this? You see, this was a parable, a living parable. Now Paul, his new nickname, Paul, has been changed. And Barnabas had the expectation that they weren't just on some sort of campaign to build churches, they were were beginning to spread a life-transforming message. And so Barnabas pulls in a living, breathing parable of transformation. This man, who everybody associated with Stephen's death, this man, Paul, who everybody understood was... Looking over that execution, approvingly, this man was now a leader in the church in this movement. A leader. It's powerful. A brand new ripple. You see, Barnabas had the expectation that what was going to happen in that church was not that they were just going to bring people together, but bring people together with the expectation that God would move, that God would do things in their lives Because they came together, that life together would transform individual lives one by one by one by one. There's some things that God only does when we come together. And see, Barnabas understood the parable of life change, and he put it right there for everyone to see. He turned into the torpedoes of everybody's fear and said, This is the man, this is the man who has struck fear. Rippling out into our community here. But this is the man who's been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, there's some things that God only does when we come together, you see. You say, well, Tim, I, I don't I don't have the background that he has, and I, I might not have the life skills that he has, and the experience that he has, and the training and the education that he has. How am I supposed to... How am I supposed to be a part of this life change? Well, let me tell you a quick little story about what, what illustrates for me is a ministry of presence. I almost want to, I, I don't like having people repeat things, but I want you to just think about that for a minute. A ministry of presence, of showing up. A ministry of presence. It's, it's prob- you've probably heard this story, but there's a story, and a true story, about a, uh, a man who lost his wife. And there was a funeral, and the next-door neighbors went to the funeral, and they came home. And the man walked up on his front porch and s- just sat down in the chair. Family, the next-door family, they, they arrived at home just about the same time. And they all got out of the car, in the carport. And their their youngest son, about five years old, just walked across the driveway, got up, sat in his lap for about 15 minutes. And parents went inside, and they were kind of looking out through the Venetian blinds, you know, what's going on there? The little boy came back, walked in the kitchen, and they said, what did you tell him? What did you all talk about? And the little boy said, this is a quote from a newspaper article. This is a quote. He said, I didn't say anything to him. I just helped him cry. That's a picture of a ministry of presence, that God does things when we come together that we can't plant that there should be an expectation that when we come together in his name, he's always at work. He's always doing something more than we can be administrators over, than we can have a committee for. He's always at work when we come together. There's some things that he only does when we come together because he wants us together. And this is the final move. He wants us together despite our differences. To show up with expectations, despite our differences. This church, the first international church in Antioch, filled with pagans. Now you say, "Well, that's a very that's a slanderous thing to say." Well, at the time that you know, they owned it, it was like, "Yeah, you know, yeah, we're pagans, so what?" I mean, they didn't know any different. I mean, th- you, in other words, you had the, the the broadest, most pluralist kind of environment, kind of like the United States today. How do we be a church in a pluralist culture? Well, we should just hammer those pagans, right? We should just bring down the big hammer on them. That's what we should do. We should hone our arguments so they all feel really dumb about where they're standing. No. We should lob grenades at the culture and we should just say how bad everything is out there and we should just huddle up here, just sort of cower in fear. Yeah. We should get on Twitter and we should just pile on to everybody making stupid statements, right? That's that's what we should do. That's a great idea. That's a great witness. All right, a little bit of sarcasm. I'm sorry. Now, what was so powerful in that region that they decided to give the believers in Jesus Christ their own nickname? This is the third nickname. You got Barnabas, you got Paul, and now you've got Christians. Now, at first it was said with tongue-in-cheek, you know, just these little Christs running around. These are Christians, right? But then it became an identity that powerfully enrobed the entire Roman Empire. Why? Because of their common commitment. Not because of their common enemy, but their common Commitment. Despite their differences, they demonstrated a very substantive unity amidst diversity. Common commitment, not common enemy. Now, you've got, you've, you've got people trying to sell things to you and to me. And you know what? I, if it's content, right, especially news media content, the easiest way to get me to buy something or become a subscriber is to point to a common enemy, start lobbing grenades at them, and make you feel good about how you're not one of them. Them. Right? That's how we're selling. And we're creating, even manufacturing, a wider and wider chasm between tribes. And yet, Here is our opportunity to come together despite differences. This is why the church broke loose and drew so many people in. Because despite their differences, they were unified around a common commitment. Imagine imagine a church where they were really trying to preserve their unity and build their numbers because of a common enemy out there. And they kept naming that enemy, and they kept finding new different groups that they were against. Now, you don't have to imagine. It's happening all the time right now. It shouldn't be happening, but it is. Now, now let's just imagine their, their kids going to college and meeting some of those enemies that they were naming out there and saying, you know, these people are just so horrible, you don't even want to go near them. Ugh, you know, I mean, you don't even want to be around them. You know, it's just like, ugh. You know, and then then they become friends with them and they realize, you know, these people are kind of reasonable and they're they're kind of nice. I like them. They're very kind. They're nothing like I mean, and, and and imagine those college students looking back and saying, Our church was really functioning as this enclave of a tribe on the basis of fear. Let me tell you something, people. They get it when we do this. They get it. It's not like we're, we can pretend they understand when we operate by fear. When I say we, I'm talking about the broader church. That's why I'm glad that we're united around our essentials. It gives us a powerful freedom to reach out in every direction without changing our identity. We have a fellowship that is more diverse <laughs> than we probably even know. I know it. I know how different you are from each other. And yet